Have you ever grown anything before? Maybe a, a vegetable garden or a, a flower garden, something like that. You've planted plants. Um, I've tried. Emphasis on tried. My wife and I are not um, green thumbs, I think it's called. <clears throat> There's several different factors that go into planting plants, though. You know, the time of year that you plant them, you have to time that right. Um, there's how much you water it. You don't want to water it too much, but you need to water it enough. Even the weather has an impact on plants growing. But one of the biggest factors that give success or failure to plants growing is the soil that it's planted in. Is it good soil or is it bad soil? A couple years ago, we had the opportunity to plant some grass. Um, we redid our whole front yard. We tore it all out and replanted the whole thing with grass seed. And before we did that, we had noticed there was a whole section of our yard that the grass just didn't grow very well there. And so we thought, okay, we'll replant the seed, and now the grass is going to grow really well there. But as the grass was growing back, the rest of it was going pretty well, but that particular area was, not, was still not growing very well. And so I kind of randomly got into a conversation with someone about it, and I was kind of sharing them what was going on, and they said, oh, well, does that area of your yard, do pine needles fall on it? And I went, oh yeah, actually our neighbor has a, a spruce tree that kind of hangs over and there's always pine needles dropping in that area. They said, well, that's your problem. The pine needles are making the soil too acidic for the grass to grow very well. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Is there anything I can do about it though? They're like, yeah, you just put some lime on it. Now, I have to share something embarrassing with you this morning. When I heard that, I thought, can I just get like, the, the bottle of lime and just squeeze it on there? Or do I actually have to get freshly squeezed limes and put that on my lawn? Now, those that are laughing, you know. Those that aren't, you'll learn something today. So I'm like, okay. Yeah, that, I mean, that's easy. That's an easy solution, right? That's great. I'll just put some lime on my yard. Well, so I, I asked him, well, how much? How much lime should I put on? That's a normal question to ask. And they said, oh, well, just look at the bag. It'll tell you how much lime to put on. What? You're telling me that I go to the store and I buy a bag of limes, it's going to tell me how much to put on my yard? Like, that doesn't make any, I, come on, really? And so, okay, just go to the store, get some limes. Like, yeah, uh, you know, go to any home improvement store, Lowe's or Home Depot, we'll have it. What? I have never seen a produce section at Lowe's before. But see, about this time, I start to realize I'm missing something. There's something I'm not getting, and so to save face, I'm just going to go, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, thanks. And then I'm going to go look it up online when I get home. <laughs> so I did, I look it up online, I just went to Lowe's website and typed in lime, and it pulls up bags of lime. Not bags of limes, but bags of lime, the mineral lime that comes from limestone. And it's the same word, sounds the same, spelled the same, but it's totally not related to the green citrus fruit that you buy at the grocery store. And so we got some of that lime, we put it on our yard, and it worked. It helped, and grass grows a lot better there. There's two things that we get out of this story here this morning. The first is that not all soil is the same. And you're going to see how that's important for what we're going to talk about when we get into our passage today. But the second one is that sometimes we hear, but we don't understand. We'll also see how that's important for our passage today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 today. You can turn there in your Bible. We're going to be kind of in this whole section of verses 1 through 21, uh, but we're really going to be focusing on this particular parable there, the parable of the sower. 
Before we get to the parable, though, I just want to mention something out of verse 1, because this gives us some context of what is Jesus doing at this time um, that kind of leads into this parable. So verse 1 of Luke chapter 8 says this, Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. We also find out that there's some women with him as well. Jesus is going around and he's sharing the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. We see this a lot in Matthew. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is near, it's at hand. He's sharing this good news with people. So in the midst of him going around and sharing this, we get to this parable of the sower. And this starts in verse 4. We're going to read verse 4 through verse 8. And when a great crowd was gathering, and the people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and yielded, or sorry, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. So we, we read through that, and it, it makes sense. I've got the four soils right here in front of you. Kind of a visual, I'm going to keep referring to these. You can kind of keep track of which one's which. So he starts with the path. And the seed that's sown on the path, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't get underground. And so the birds of the air, they, they steal it away, they take it away, and it doesn't grow anything. Nothing happens. Then we get to the rocky soil. And the rocky soil, there's enough good soil in there that initially the plant springs up, right? The, the seed plants, it germinates, the plant grows up, but the rocks prevent it from getting any roots. It can't lay down roots, they, the roots can't get any water, and so quickly it falls away. It withers. Then we get to the thorny soil. With the thorny soil, the, the seed actually grows up a little bit. The plant grows up a little bit. It, it seems to be growing well, but... These thorns are in the way, and they end up choking it out before it can bear any fruit. The fruit doesn't, doesn't mature. It doesn't grow fruit. And then finally, we get the good soil. And you guys know about this. This is the good soil. The plant um, grows. The seeds germinate. The plant grows, and it bears fruit, and it increases. It bears lots of fruit, a hundredfold. So we read that, and you understand it on the surface. We understand it on the surface. And yet, what does it really mean? Because clearly Jesus isn't just giving farming advice to people, right? He's given, he's given fishing advice in the past, cast your nets on this side, but, and now he's giving farming advice? Come on, is that what this is about? No, we know it's about something deeper because it's a parable. And so the disciples, they come to Jesus, and it's clear that they heard him, but they didn't understand. That's going to be important. They heard him, but they didn't understand. Because in verse 9 it says, And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said... And he's going to go and he's going to describe the parable. And he's actually going to go through each element of the parable and describe what it is. But before that, he actually gives the big picture of parables. This is the parable that describes all other parables. It's the parable of parables. And so in verse 9, or verse, yeah, verse 9, sorry, 10, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. There's a couple things that are important to understand from this. The first is, first is that we find out what parables, the purpose of them are. And a lot of times, when we think of parables, we think of them as illustrations to help us understand better. It's like the pastor sharing an illustration, and you go, okay, now I get what you're trying to say, because you compared it to this other thing, the analogy, and now it's more clear to me, I understand it better. But as we read this, we find that's not what Jesus is doing here. 
In fact, intentionally, he's being cryptic. He's hiding the truth of what this means from the people. That only certain people are going to understand what Jesus is saying when he shares these parables. And the quote that is here, uh, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand, is straight out of Isaiah chapter 6, where God says, who will go for me? Who will be my mouthpiece? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And then God gives him his job. Okay, you're going to go and you're going to tell people my word, but no one's going to listen. Can you imagine getting that kind of job from God? Saying, here, I've got a job for you. You're going to preach my word. You're going to do it well, but nobody's going to listen. It's not going to have any effect on the people around you. They're not going to see the truth. They're not going to hear the truth of it. And so in the same way, Jesus is doing that. Does that make anyone else feel uncomfortable? Wait, Jesus is intentionally being cryptic? Like it says he's sharing the good news, but he's not actually being clear and plain about it? Doesn't, shouldn't he be plain about this so that people will come to faith in him? And we get that, and yet we have to remember what Jesus' purpose was when he came to earth. What was he really here to do? What was his purpose? And we see that in Mark 8.31. So we're going to put that verse up there right now. Mark 8.31 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. I love that he says that plainly, but he's not saying other things plainly. This describes Jesus' purpose for coming. Jesus' purpose, it wasn't to just share the good news with everybody. Hey, everybody, believe what I'm saying and follow me. In fact, the thousands of people that were following him for a while end up falling away. And hardly anyone is left to, keep, to stick with him till the end. His purpose was to come and to die on the cross for our sins. And then he gave a new task to his disciples and eventually to us to then now go plainly and clearly spread the gospel to the people around us. And we'll, we'll get to that idea later. But it was not Jesus' purpose to make the message clear. His purpose was to come and die for our sins. And then people would come and share that message. So, It's not clear. The disciples hear, but they don't quite understand. And so Jesus is going to explain it to them. The next several verses, verses 11 through 15, we're going to see the different elements of the parable explained. So I'm just going to slowly walk through each one of them, and we're going to kind of stop and talk about each one as we go through. So verse 11 says, Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. This is really important, and this kind of illuminates the whole thing. Once you get that, you can kind of piece everything else together. You go, okay, I got it. The seed that is being spread by the sower, that's God's word. God's word being spread around to to various peoples. And that also gives us an indication that the soil is the people. The people are, are the soil that's being talked about here. So then verse 12, we start with the path. It says, The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. The path is hard. The seed doesn't get through. God's word, this is somebody with a hard heart. They're not willing to listen. I mean, they're physically, they hear it, but they don't understand it. And so it, it doesn't make any difference in their life. They've got a hard heart. Verse 13 is about the rocky soil. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while. In a time of testing, they fall away. Like we said before, there's, there's some good soil here. So this person, they hear God's word, and initially they go, that sounds great. They, they hear it, and they understand it at least a little bit, 
but they, they don't think about it enough to think about what does this mean for my life? How does this apply to my life and what should I do about it? They don't, they don't ever get there. And so when the time comes, when trials come, when, when things come up, the word of God had no effect in their life. They didn't do anything with it. It's kind of like saying, oh, that's a great idea anyway. And they move on. Then we get to the thorny soil in verse 14. It says, and for those that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. This person, they hear it, they understand it, they even think about how to apply it to their life. This is what it could look like in my life. But when the time actually comes, the cares of this world, other things going on seem more important than what God has said. You can even think about it, you know what, that sounds great, but I'm just too busy right now. I'm going to do it this way instead. So the cares of the world have choked out what God's, work, what God's word was doing in their life, and they, they don't bear fruit. They don't actually do God's word. Then we get to the good soil, and we know about the good soil. Verse 15, as, that, as for that in the good soil, they are those hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. They hear God's word, they understand it, they apply it to their life, and then they respond. They actually do it. They live out God's word in their life. And, and the good soil is actually the antithesis of the other three soils we see here. There's a good heart with the good soil rather than a hard heart. There's, there's steadfastness. They hold fast to God's truth rather than falling away and withering quickly. They produce fruit rather than the thorny soil that doesn't produce fruit. Now, as we hear this, there's another kind of side issue that comes up. For a lot of people, they read this parable, and one of the questions that comes up is, okay, can I lose my salvation? You see, the good soil, right, that's clearly someone who has believed. There's fruit in their life. They're living it out. That's great. And, and clearly the path is someone who has not believed and is not saved. It actually makes it clear here. He says they do not believe they are not saved. So those ones are clear, but what about the middle two ones? For a lot of people, they'll go, oh, well, they must have never really believed. But it's hard when we're reading it to see that. But on the other hand, it makes us feel uncomfortable like, wait, they believed, but now they've fallen away. Did they lose their salvation? Can you lose your salvation? Well, I'm happy to say that I can give you a 100% clear response to this today. That is not what this passage is about. You cannot say, this passage is not telling us whether or not you can lose your salvation. And so we're going to save that for another day. We're not going to talk about it because it, that's not what he's trying to say. I think Jesus is intentionally being ambiguous with the middle two soils because that's not what this is supposed to be about so we will stick with the main point here. You've heard God's word. You understand it? I think for the most part, this is a simple one. We go, yeah, I, I get it. I understand it. But what does this actually mean for our lives? What do we actually do after hearing this parable? For a lot of people, so the main idea here, God's word is spread, but it doesn't affect everyone in the same way. Some will reject it, and some will bear fruit from it. But what does that actually mean for me? For a lot of us, we just think of this as like, okay, is this just like categories that I can then stereotype people and put them in? Like, oh, that person must be, you know, the path. They're not getting it at all. You know, that person's the thorns. They care too much about stuff going on in their life. That person's the rocky soil. It grew up quick, but there's no, there's no roots in it. Are we just supposed to categorize people with this? 
I don't think so. In fact, I think there's two clear applications from this passage that we're going to dig into today. If you have your sermon notes out, you see it clearly there. The first one is that we, we hear God's word, and that's what we've already done. We've heard God's word. The second one is that we do God's word. And then the third one, or the, the second application, is to spread God's word. So we've heard God's word. Now what do we do with it? We do God's word, and then we spread God's word. So focusing on that, on that first application, do God's word. Actually, the next two paragraphs give us some insight into that being an application out of this. The next verses 16 through 18 um, give another parable connecting light to the word of God. And then in verse 18, he says, take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. Now, this is an imperative. It's a command in scripture. It's actually, there's only two imperatives in this whole section. This is the second one. The first one was back in verse 8 where he says, He who has ears, let him hear. I actually like the net translation there because it says, He who has ears had better listen. Listen up. And so we're told clearly from this passage, the application is we need to hear God's word. Pay attention to God's word. And then in the following paragraph, verses 19 through 21, there's this situation. Jesus' mother and brothers, they show up and they're asking for Jesus. And Jesus says this in verse 21. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You see, that's the main thing out of this passage here. We hear God's word and then we do it. So now I want to take a couple examples, a couple do passages in scripture where there's a clear command. And then we're going to see, okay, if you've heard that command, how does it affect each of the soils? Or how do the soils affect that command in your life? James tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So we're going to practice that a little bit. We're going to dig into that a little bit. What does it look like to be a doer of the word? <clears throat> Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the big picture. On the grand scale of our faith with this parable, the big picture of our faith, it's true that we are, we are the good soil. If you have believed in Jesus, believed that he died on the cross for our sins, and you walk in new life with him, then we are the good soil. God is working in us. He's making us more like him. We're growing up and producing fruit, and that is true. But today, I want to talk about the day-to-day, week-to-week reality of this in our lives. Because overall, your field might look like good soil, but there's probably still some rocky patches. There's probably still some thorn bushes. There might even be a highway going right through the middle of it. What areas of my life am I not receiving God's word and doing it? So I want you to be thinking about that as we go forward with this today. Our first example comes from Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love this passage. We have a clear command, do not be anxious. It's actually a sin to be anxious because we're not trusting in God. So do not be anxious. I love because he gives the other side of it. Instead of being anxious, pray. This is actually how we practice not being anxious. We give it over to God in prayer. It says we we request, we ask of God in supplication, and with thanksgiving, we thank God. And when we do that, the result is we will have the peace of God which surpasses understanding. And probably many of you have felt that before, the peace of God which surpasses understanding. But what we're going to focus on here is that command, do not be anxious. 
And so there's a couple things for context I want you to be thinking about as we go through this. The first is, I want you to think about this in terms of a Sunday morning message. Um, There's many opportunities to hear God's word throughout the week, uh, whether it's, you know, reading your Bible on your own, listening to other sermons or podcasts, reading other books. You can hear God's word all throughout the week, but I want you to think about coming to church on Sunday morning to hear God's word. And the second thing is I want to put a diagram up there to kind of show you where I'm thinking, what I'm going through here. And um, as I was reading through this passage, this is kind of what I was thinking about. And it connects, actually, to a BP Academy class that we do, um, How to Study Your Bible. For those of you that have taken that, you, you might recognize some of this. Um, in, the, in the book, Living by the Book, he shares the three-step process of how to study your Bible. The first is observation. The second is interpretation. And then the third is application. But I added a fourth there, because we can sit around and talk about what this should look in our life all day long, but then we don't actually do it. And so there needs to be a response, an actual living it out in faith. And so mainly today, I'm going to be talking about hearing, understanding, applying, and responding. And we're going to see that and how that relates to the four soils here. So Philippians 4, don't be anxious. If you come to church on a Sunday morning, the pastor is preaching, do not be anxious. And he says, um... So you hear that, right? You're there, you're present, you hear that, but your heart is hard. You're the path that morning. And so, although physically you've heard it, you don't understand it. You're not thinking about it. You're not paying attention at all. And I'm not lost at the irony of saying this today, because any of you that are are the path this morning aren't even listening to these words that I'm saying right now. And I might just for a moment say, hey, wake up, come on. Hear God's word this morning. Don't be the path. The path they hear, do not be anxious, but it doesn't mean anything. They're not paying attention. Then we get to the rocky soil. They hear, do not be, do not be anxious. And, and so they hear it, and they understand it a little. They go, yeah, that's a good idea. But they don't really think about the relationship it has to their life. They don't think about what I would actually do with this, and so then they never do anything with it. It's kind of like going, okay, I guess I shouldn't be anxious anymore. I'll try hard not to be anxious. Have you ever said those words before? I'll try hard to do this. You don't do it, do you? If that's, all, if that's the extent of your application, it usually doesn't work. You don't actually know how this relates to your life. You're not thinking about that, and so nothing in your life changes. It, it springs up initially. You go, yeah, that's a good idea, and then it falls away. The third one, the thorny soil. You hear this, do not be anxious. And you go, yeah, I, I don't have to be anxious. And you, you even understand it based on the gospel of the truth of who God is and what he's done for us. I can give my anxieties to him. I don't need to be anxious. And you make a plan. You go, you know what? Tonight when I go to bed, I know that I'm going to start feeling anxious about work tomorrow. That thing that happens on Sunday afternoons where you realize, oh yeah, I've got to go to work tomorrow. You feel anxious about it. And you go, okay, so when that time comes, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask God for help. And I'm going to give thanks to him for all that he's done in my life. And you've got a good plan, but when that time comes, Sunday evening rolls around and you start to feel anxious about work, you think of the other solutions that you have, the worldly solutions to deal with anxiety, and you turn to those instead. Ah, you know what, I'll just, I'll just watch another TV show, or I'll just have a drink, or, or I'll eat something to try to fill that void in my life, to try to make me feel less anxious, rather than turning to God in prayer. You knew what to do, but you didn't actually do it, and there's no fruit in your life. Then we get to the good soil, which actually, 
I'm going to wait. We're going to come back to the good soil at the end because I want to take us through another example of a due passage from Scripture. So the next one is out of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Hopefully we understand what's going on here. Jesus is, is connecting this to the Old Testament, right? That command of do not murder. That one's not that hard to keep for most of us. But there's actually something underneath there that he's pointing out. In fact, don't even be angry or insult your brother. Now, as he says brother, we can actually expand that out a little bit. It's not just family. It's not even just believer. It can mean even neighbor, the people around you, the people you work with. So we have a clear command not to be angry or to insult the people around us. And, and we see this echoed in other passages. I think of James 1, 19. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we've got it, right? Okay, don't be angry. The pastor's preaching on that passage on a Sunday morning. You come in and you hear that, but your heart's hard. You, don't, you, don't, you, you hear it, but you don't think about it. You don't understand it. You're not going to do anything with it. You know, honestly, are you even paying attention? Are you thinking about the Super Bowl commercials later today? Maybe I should have talked about lust instead of anger. So you don't even hear it in the path. Maybe you're the rocky soil. You hear it and you go, yeah, you know what? I really need to work on not getting angry with my kids anymore. But that's where the thought ends. And you leave church and you go get in the car and you hear some shouting in the back seat. And you look in the rearview mirror and one of your kids is hitting the other one. And you just get angry. Stop hitting your sister, you little jerk. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It, it had no impact in your life. It was a great idea, but you didn't do anything with it. Then we get to the thorny soil. You hear God's word. You understand it. You even, you even start to apply it. You think, what would this look like in my life? But then you don't respond. You don't live it out. You go, I shouldn't be angry anymore. And, and you're thinking about the, the implications of that with all that Christ has done for us. And you think, you know, when my boss does something that furiates me, frustrates me, I shouldn't respond with anger. I should pray. I should forgive. I should remember that God is in control and that, he, and, and that his will is done. But as time goes on, you get distracted. There's a promotion coming up. You start to care more about that promotion than anything else in the world. world but then you get overlooked for it. You don't get the job and you just lose it. Maybe you go and you yell at him to his face or maybe you just badmouth him to the rest of the office. You insult him to other people. You knew what you were supposed to do and yet there was no fruit. You didn't live it out. You didn't respond to that command in faith. Then we get to the good soil. With the good soil you hear, do not be anxious, do not, don't be angry or insult people. And, and you think about it. You think about the implications of it. You think about the connection to the gospel. You understand it. And then you think about what it would actually look like in your life. You think about the areas of your life that you struggle with those things. And you go, yeah, this is what it would look like in my life. And this is what I need to do to not be anxious, to not be angry. And then, and then you do it. You respond in faith. And it's not easy. And, and I'll share with you I struggle with anger in my own life. And, 
what's funny is growing up, I, I don't think it was really a big deal. I, I didn't really struggle with anger at all growing up until a couple things happened in my life. There's a couple areas in my life that, that happened when I was an adult that caused me to realize I actually am an angry person. The first was having kids. And the second was home improvement projects. <laughs> I got to sit down with my son um, one of my sons yesterday morning just sat on his bed with him and we talked about anger for a long time because he's really struggling with anger. And we got to work some of this stuff out and I was able to share with him in my own life how anger wasn't a big deal, but when I had kids, I, and, and it's hard because I love them so much and I want to take care of them and I want to provide for them and I want what's best for them. And so I tell them what they need to do and then they just absolutely don't do it. And it kind of it shows the ugliness of my pride and my control in my life because of how angry I get when my kids don't listen to me. And you realize that sin that's there. And so I've struggled with that. But I can tell you that I'm, I'm not the man that I was and that God's been working in me through that and that my response to my kids now is different than it was a year ago, different than it was two years ago, that, that God has been working that out in me, helping me to be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to get angry, to take a moment and remember who God is and what he's done and then respond rightly to my kids. About a year ago, we started remodeling our whole house. And uh, so I've had many opportunities to exercise that anger. And, you know, it comes up. You know, sometimes it's just you hit your thumb with the hammer. And, and, but a lot of times it's just, I've got a plan. I know how things are supposed to go. And they never go that way, do they? Something always goes wrong, and you just get so frustrated. And how many times this last year that words have come out of my mouth that shouldn't have come out of my mouth in anger? And yet, once again, I've seen God work in my life. And a few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to practice once again. We were finishing the floors, putting in the floors in our house. And I actually asked my D group, I said, hey, would you guys pray for me this weekend? Because I'm putting my floors in, and... A lot of times I struggle with anger when things don't go the right way. And they were praying for me, and I was praying. I had some other guys praying for me as well, and I was different. I think there was only one time that I actually got angry or responded in anger that weekend. But God's working in me. And this is important because you might hear this today as we're talking about being doers of the word. Hear God's word and, and understand it and apply it and do it as just a, you need to try harder. But I'm not saying that because God has to work in us. God has to do a work, and yet we also are a part of it. When it comes to our justification to being saved, that's all of God's work. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. There's nothing we do to contribute to that salvation. It's all him. But then we're, new, we're a new life in Christ. We saw that picture with baptism, right? You die to your old self with Christ, and you're raised to new life. So in that new life, once again, the Holy Spirit needs to work in us. The Holy Spirit is doing work, is working within us. And yet, we participate too. We get to be a part of it. I like to say it's 100% the Holy Spirit and it's 100% human effort. We get to be a part of it as well. And that's why there's so many commands in Scripture. If that wasn't true, the New Testament writers wouldn't need to say, do this and do that. They would just say, you know what, sit back, relax. God's going to do his work. You don't need to worry about it. But we join God in this work together. And that's true about you as you come to church on Sunday morning and you sit there. You have a choice of what you're going to do. Are you going to hear? Are you going to think about it? Are you going to pay attention? Are you going to understand 
Or are you just going to be distracted by something else? I've heard that there's two types of people that are sitting out there in church this morning. There's those that are leaning back and they're saying, okay, pastor, what do you got for me today? Can you entertain me enough that I'll want to listen to you and then make it super clear and make it super clear what I'm supposed to do without it, about it, and then maybe I'll, I'll live it out and I'll do it. But the burden's on you, pastor. You gotta, you gotta reach me. And it doesn't work. I can't do that. I'd be better off being a door-to-door encyclopedia salesman than trying to make a change in your life. Number one, God needs to be working in your life. He needs to be tilling up the, the soil of your heart to prepare it. But you have an opportunity not to sit back, but to sit forward. That's the other type of person here at this church. The one that's sitting forward, that's saying, okay, what can I get out of this? And I just saw some of you sit forward just now. I'm talking mentally. It doesn't have to be physically. It's okay to lean against the backrest. But, but that, that mental posture of going, okay, This could be the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life, and yet God's word is being preached, and so I'm going to look for what I can get out of it. God, what are you trying to show me here today that I can learn and apply to my life and then respond in faith? You have an opportunity. You have a choice to do that. And and I say this as someone who's usually sitting out there with you. Most of the time, I'm hearing God's word preached on a Sunday morning. And I'll be honest, I've had too many weeks with this, where I was just thinking, you know, I just want to get through this today. I've got other stuff going on. I'm thinking about that. Let's just get through this surface. And yet, that's not where I want to be. I want to be here. I want to hear God's word. I want to think about it. I want to understand it. I want to, to think about what it would look like in my life and then actually live it out. There's actually another command that relates to something that has already happened today. Baptism. There's a clear command in Scripture, believe and be baptized. And we got to see Sydney walk in obedience with that today. She has believed, and so she got up there, obedience to God's word, and was baptized. There's probably some of you out there this morning that are not not baptized, that you have believed in Jesus, and yet you have never been baptized. And as I share God's word from that this morning about that particular issue, number one, are you even paying attention to me right now? Number two, maybe you hear that and you go, yeah, I should be baptized. Anyways, you don't do anything about it. Or maybe some of you, you go, yeah, you know, I really should be baptized. And, you know, I should, I'll I'll email Pastor Ryan later this week and ask him what I should do next about baptism. But you're not going to. Not if if this is the soil, soil you're working from. But if you're hearing God's word and doing it this morning, if you're the good soil... You hear that, and you're going to go, you know what? I know that Pastor Ryan is going to be in the sanctuary. He's going to be hanging around a little bit after church. I'm going to go up to him right after church. I'm going to ask him, hey, what do I do to be baptized? And I'll help you in that next step to walking in faith, to doing God's word, and to being baptized. And if there's any of you out there this morning that that's true for, I encourage you to do that today. Come talk to me. We're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. We hear God's word And then we do it. And part of that doing it leads us to the second application, which is spreading God's word. There's one more command out of scripture that we're talking about today. It's out of Matthew 28, where he tells us to make disciples of all nations. You see, we actually find ourselves in two places in this parable. We are the soil, but we're also the sower. 
We often think of Jesus as the sower in this, and, and that may be true, but we also get to be sowers as well. We get to share God's word with the people around us. And there's two things out of this parable that I want you to take away as you think about being a sower, as you think about spreading God's word to the people around you. The first one is spread liberally or spread generously. As you look at the sower in this, he actually doesn't look like a very good farmer. Um, from what I've told, good farmers, they're, they're careful about where they spread their seed. They're not just going to throw it all over the place because seed is precious. You're only going to put it on the good soil. But this sower, he's throwing it all over the place. It's landing on the path and the thorn bushes on the rocky soil. It doesn't matter. And that's true for us as well. Spread God's word everywhere to anyone that you know because you don't know where the good soil is. You don't know where God has been preparing someone's heart or he's been making a way for them to receive God's word, to believe it, and to bear fruit, to live it out. And so we're called to share God's word with all of the people around us. And that's actually connected to the fruit that we bear. When, when we are, when God's working in us, and we're in the good soil, and we're bearing fruit, people see that. And hopefully that opens up opportunities where they could say, hey, what's different about you? And now you've got your opportunity to share God's word with them. So be generous with God's word. Spread it everywhere. Spread it liberally. And then the second point here is don't be discouraged. What we see clearly in this passage is that not everyone will believe. And some that, that initially believe, are it's not going to last. They're going to fall away. They're not going to bear fruit. They're not going to live it out. And that's okay. Our job is to share God's word. We, we plant, we water, but only God gives the growth. It's up to God to prepare the soil of their hearts. And so we share God's word. But there are many who won't believe. And that's not our responsibility. We share it with joy, we share it with gladness, and we trust the rest to God's, to God working in their lives. Hear God's word, do God's word, spread God's word. So I want to encourage you today, as God's word has been read in your presence, as you, has, you have heard his word this morning, I want you to think about it. This takes thinking too often we think, if I just go to church, like, I'll just kind of absorb the truth and it'll magically change my life. you got to actually think about it. Think about what this means. Understand it. And when you understand it, then you have to think about, okay, what difference does this make in my life? Right? How does this actually apply to, to different areas of my life, to the activity that I have this next week? What does it look like? And then you actually have to do it. You respond in faith. And, and we don't do that alone. The Holy Spirit works in us, helps us to do that, but we're a part of that as well. We've got to pay attention. We've got to hear, understand, apply, and respond. So I want to challenge you guys today to hear God's word and to do it. And then to spread God's word to all of those people around you at work, your neighbors, family, whoever it is, share God's word with them because he who promised is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you that you have given us your word. God, what a precious thing it is to have your word, that we're not just left to try to figure this out on our own. God, I pray that we would take seriously your word. We would, we would pay attention to it. We would hear it on Sunday morning when we come, but also the rest of the week as we, as we read your word, as we hear it in other opportunities, other places. Lord, I pray that we would hear it and that we would think about it, God, that we would understand it. You would give us illumination. Give it Give us understanding of your word. And then, Lord, I pray that we would, we would apply it to our lives, that we would see how it relates to our day-to-day -day lives. And then we would do it, Lord. 
We pray for your help in that. We can't do this on our own. We cannot work the soil of our own heart alone. We need you, Lord. And I pray that you'd be working in each and every one of us, softening our hearts, preparing us for the good work that you want to do for us, the good works that you have prepared beforehand. We pray this all in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.